Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you. And Good morning. Way, uh, way back in the day, uh, Oli and Lena lived on, along the Red River on the Minnesota side, of course, right? And across the river, there lived a man whose name was Clarence. And Oli and, and Clarence, all they, though they had never met, they never got along. Uh, both of them would, would hurl insults across the river at one another. Oh, your barn is so small, one would yell, and the other would reply back, Oh yeah, you're such a poor farmer that you couldn't grow crops in the Garden of Eden if you, if you tried. And this went on for years and for years. But eventually, Minnesota and North Dakota decided that they needed to build a bridge to connect the two states. And they decided to build one of those you know, old-fashioned covered bridges, and they decided to build it right by Ole and Clarence's farms. And Ole was so excited. He would finally be able to cross the river and to give Clarence a piece of his mind and put Clarence in his place. Once the bridge was complete, Ole confidently proclaimed to Lena that he was going to go across that bridge and show Clarence a thing or two. And so Lena said a prayer for Ole. <laughs> but no sooner had Ole left when he came running back, his face white as a sheet, trembling all over. And, and Lena asked him what happened. And Ole said, well, I, I was about to cross that new covered bridge when I read a sign above it. And it said, Clarence, nine foot, four inches. <laughs> and so I got scared. <laughs> Some of you will get that later. <laughs> False confidence can be a dangerous thing, can't it? False confidence can lead you to do some pretty uh, reckless activities. But true confidence, true confidence is a wonderful blessing. Confidence in your ability to perform your job well, confidence to take the shot on a basketball court, whatever it may be, right? In this section of Philippians that we're going to look at this morning, Paul shares with the saints in Philippi three different reasons why he had to be confident. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Uh, we'll be beginning at the, the last part of verse 18, um, going on through verse 26. So if you have your Bibles again, first, or I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 1, would you stand with me as we read scripture, reading again in Jesus' name. Paul writes, and yes, I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage now and as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain." If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, I shall, yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. 
Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you might have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Would you bow your hearts with mine? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this text and uh, the wonderful truths uh, that you inspired Paul to write and the wonderful confidence that he had in you. And we pray that we today, as we open your word, we would hear from it and that you would be with us in our midst today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In this section of his letter to the Philippians, Paul was confident, he was assured of three things that he could bank on that kept him going when the going got tough for him. Uh, The first thing Paul was confident of was of his deliverance. Paul was confident of his deliverance. And I know we uh, just read it, but look at verse 19 again. I don't know if it's on the screen again. Paul says, And yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Christ Jesus, this will turn out for my deliverance. And if we can, let's start uh, and, and look at this verse backwards, starting at the end and working our way towards the beginning. He says, this will turn out for my deliverance. What is the, the this that Paul is talking about? Again, it's helpful to remember where Paul is. As Paul has been writing Philippians, he, he's in a Roman prison awaiting trial before Caesar. He had been arrested in Jerusalem, but appealed his case to Caesar, which meant that his case, yes, was now bogged down in the the Roman legal system, uh, but it also meant that he would have the opportunity to present the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, before the highest officials in the empire, uh, including uh, Nero Caesar himself. And so the the this that Paul is talking about is his imprisonment for the sake of Jesus. And yet, in spite of these bleak circumstances of jail, Paul was confident that it would all turn out okay in the end. He was confident of his eventual deliverance. He said in verse 19, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. And now I don't know if if the Lord had given Paul a very uh, special vision or revelation of him being released from jail or if Paul had a really good handle on the legal system and the details of his case or, or if he just saw the odds of being released in his favor. But whatever the reason, Paul was confident that his deliverance, that his rescue would come. And how would this deliverance come? How would it be delivered? Paul says that it would arrive through your prayers and through the help of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul was convinced that his deliverance, his rescue from Roman prison and from this unjust sentence that he was serving would come about by the prayers of the Philippians. You know, your prayers matter, don't they? There's a reason that we spend time each week during our worship service praying for one another, interceding on behalf of one another. We don't do it simply because it's something we've always done. We do it because we are convinced from Scripture and from our own experience that prayer is powerful, isn't it? And as we pray, we, we, we enter the throne room of God, the same throne room that John saw in Revelation 4. And we bring our requests to him. 
And as we do, we are confident that he hears us. He hears our prayers. He hears our requests. And our confidence comes not because we are so great and so mighty and so awesome, but our confidence comes because he has invited us to come before him in prayer. We are confident because of Jesus, our great high priest, who has gone on before us, who gave his life for us. Call on me, says the Lord, and I will answer you. But in our, in our human weakness, we, we often struggle in prayer. Maybe it's just me. I don't know about the rest of you. But right, sometimes we, we struggle to find the time to pray or, or in all reality, the, the attention span to pray, right? And so often we pray for a particular result only to have the thing not turn out the way we prayed for, right? We were looking for extra hours at work, the extra finances we needed to make ends meet, and, and it never comes. We, we pray for less homework and less tests, only to have those homework and tests keep piling on, right? We, we pray for a loved one who has cancer, but yet he or she still passes away and dies. But yet prayer is powerful, is it not? And, and its true power lies not in, in changing God's heart, but in conforming our hearts to his will. The Lord God, in his infinite wisdom, already has your best and the people that we are praying for. He has their best in mind. Even if it's, uh, it's not as if he's got evil planned and you need to come before him and, and change his heart. He already knows what's best, even better than we do ourselves. The true power of prayer is that it molds our will with his and our hearts become aligned with his prayer teaches us ultimately to pray not my will but yours be done yeah prayer is powerful is it not and then paul being confident of his being delivered paul was confident that he would not be ashamed of christ jesus or the gospel that's what the emphasis is in the first part of verse 20 he said it is my eager expectation and hope that i will not be ashamed of christ jesus or his gospel after Paul had been arrested in Jerusalem for sharing his faith, he appealed to Caesar, right? And uh, this meant, again, not only that his case was bogged down in the legal system, but it meant that he got the opportunity to share with Caesar himself, with the high officials of the day, uh, the gospel. And we looked at some of that last week as, as even the praetorian guard uh, was coming to know Christ. And it was Paul's eager expectation and his hope that when the time came to share the gospel, he would not waver in his resolve to speak the truth or, or to water down the word. And he had this expectation and hope because he knew the power of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel, he wrote to the church in Rome, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Paul was not ashamed of the gospel because he knew he was confident of the truth of the gospel, the good news that brought salvation, brings deliverance to those who believe. Paul was confident of his deliverance from the Roman prison. And Paul also shares with the Philippians his confidence in Christ Jesus by death or by life. That's what verses 20 through 24 get at. Look at these with me again. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. But with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. 
And if I am to live in the flesh, that means faithful labor for me. Yet, which shall I choose? I, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. By his life or, or by his death, Paul had one single, singular desire. And I hope you caught it, and if you didn't, it's on the screen already, right? <laughs> now, as always, Christ will be honored, whether by my life or my death. This was Paul's one singular desire, that Christ Jesus would be honored, and that Christ Jesus would be honored in all that Paul did or all that happened to him along the way. In this context here, to have Christ be honored means to give Christ praise, to bring him glory, to make him great. And we know that Christ is already great, is he not? Nothing I can do or I can say can make Christ Jesus more great, more honored. But to borrow the logic from Luther's small catechism, uh, when we strive to make Christ great, to honor him, we pray that Christ might be made great in our own hearts and in the hearts of others. We want him to have the place of honor. We want him to be magnified above all else. And as Christians, our aim, our desire should be to make Christ great, to honor him with all that we do, with all that we are, in our families, in our jobs, in our hobbies, as we do life, make Christ great. This past summer, uh, most of the world turned its attention, at least for a little while, to Tokyo, right? And to the 2020, 2020 Summer Olympics that were being held in 2021, right, because of COVID. And I confess, and maybe this makes me a bad American, or maybe we're just really busy this summer. I think I watched about five minutes of all of the Olympics this summer, right? Uh, but I did follow along on social media with the medal accounts and, and things like that. And I was, I was pleasantly surprised, as I did, to find that many of the athletes who competed in the events gave God glory and honor uh, for allowing them to compete, whether they won or lost. And one of, the, one of the shining examples of this was uh, the Olympic medalist Sydney McLaughlin. She was a 21-year-old uh, U.S. gold medalist and world record holder in the 400-meter hurdles. And I know it's kind of small there, but this was from her uh, Instagram post uh, after she won. And she said, let me start off by saying uh, what honor, what an honor it is to be able to represent not only my country, but also the kingdom of God. What I have in Christ is far greater than what I have or don't have in life. I pray my journey may be a clear depiction of submission and obedience to God. Even when it doesn't make sense, even when it doesn't seem possible, he will make a way out of no way. Not for my own gratification, she writes, but for his glory. I have never seen God fail in my life in anyone's life for that matter. And she goes on to say, just because I may not win every race or receive every one of my heart's desires, that does not mean that God has failed. His will is perfect, and he has prepared for me a moment such as this, that I may use the gifts that he's given me to point all the attention back to him. And then she signed it two-time Olympian, two-time or Olympic champion, a world record holder. Thank you, God is what she said there at the very end. Thank you, God. And now Sydney could have used her, her platform, and not just the literal podium that she was standing on when she received the medal. She could have used her platform to honor herself, to point to herself, to make herself look better and how great she is, how much better she is than everybody else. 
She could have done that, and countless athletes have and do. But Sydney pointed upwards. She pointed to Christ, honoring God with her life. And in Christians, our aim, your aim, our singular desire in life should be to make Christ great, to honor him, to glorify him with all that we do, with all that we are. We probably don't have the same platform as Sidney McLaughlin had and, and many other Olympians like her, but that's no excuse not to honor Christ, not to glorify Christ. In your life, with your accomplishments, your aim, your singular desire ought to be to glorify Christ, to bring honor to him. That was Paul's singular desire, to honor, to glorify, to make Christ great. But he also had some divided desires as well, some divided desires. And he shares, shares those desires in verses 21 through 23. He says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means faith or fruitful labor for me. Yet, I cannot yet what I choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But my... But he goes on to say, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. One singular desire, two divided desires. And one of those divided desires that Paul had was to depart this life and to be with Christ. And the other was to live and to keep working for Christ. To live is Christ, Paul writes. To live as Christ, first and foremost, means that Paul was connected to Christ. Being connected to Christ meant that Paul had a personal, living relationship with Jesus. Throughout the New Testament, we see it in the book of Philippians as well, this is described as being in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he wrote to the Colossians, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Jesus himself described the relationship using the illustration of a vine and branches. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, Christ says, bears much fruit. For Paul, living is Christ because Paul was connected to Christ. To live is Christ also meant that Paul was growing like Christ. For Paul and for all Christians connected to Christ, growing like Christ is a daily process, isn't it? It's a daily, hourly, moment-by-moment process that Christ works within us as he conforms us more and more into his image, into his likeness. We call this process sanctification, right? Christ, through his word and through his spirit, works on the stubborn, hard hearts that we have, removing the pieces of our hearts that aren't conformed to him. And sometimes it's hard work because our hearts, again, are, are stubborn, and we, they're hard, and we have pet sins that we don't want to give up or turn over to him. But every day, Every day we are called by Christ to grow in Christ-likeness and live lives of daily repentance and faith. Living is Christ because we are called to grow like Christ. To live is Christ also meant that, that Paul's life was given in service for Christ. Paul knew that his life was not his own. I have been crucified with Christ, he wrote. It is no longer I who live, but Christ Jesus who lives in me. And yet, Paul yet had faithful service to render to Christ. If I am to live in the flesh, he says, that means fruitful labor for me. 
And tradition tells us that Paul was released from jail and continued to minister. Uh, some accounts say that he went to Spain and proclaimed the gospel there before getting arrested again and, and eventually martyred. The Lord was not done with Paul. To live is Christ and to die, he said, to die is gain. And, and as Paul talks of death being gain, it's, it's important to note, first and foremost, that uh, he's, he's not expressing a suicidal tendency here, nor is he taking active steps uh, towards that end. We would be wrong to read that into Paul and into his motives and logic and reasoning. But yet Paul, while he is fully convinced of his deliverance and eventual release from prison, Paul is fully aware that it is well within the realm of possibilities that his imprisonment for Christ will result result in his death. And instead of whining or complaining, instead of saying, oh, woe is me, I can't believe this, Paul has come to terms with that outcome. If death happens as a result of my imprisonment, he says, so be it. In verse 23, he says, my desire is to depart and to be with Christ. And the word, the word depart is kind of a fun word here. I guess it doesn't show up on there. It's, it's the Greek word analuo. It's a word that was often used in the shipping industry to describe when a ship would be untied from the dock, loosed from its moorings, and would sail out of the harbor and on her way to her next port of call. Eventually, analuo became a, a euphemism for death when one is untied from the moorings of this life and sails off to everlasting life. In, in English, we, only, we have our own euphemisms for death, right? Uh, like when we talk about people passing away or uh, buying the farm or, or simply we've lost them, right? But I like this imagery of a, of a ship departing, sailing for another harbor. It implies a, a destination, doesn't it? And according to the Bible, an eternal destination. And it reminds me of the, uh, of the end of the Lord of the Rings trilogy when, when Frodo and, and Bilbo and Gandalf depart the Grey Havens with Elrond and, and Galadriel, right? Sailing off west, leaving Middle-earth, departing for the undying lands. <laughs> Paul knew that when he departed this life, when he was loosed from his moorings, he would arrive at his destination, a destination which was, as he said in verse 23, was to be with Christ. And that destination to be with Christ is great gain, is it not? As Paul wrote again to, to the Corinthians, he said, to be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord. The Second Corinthians 5, 8. This means that the moment we die, our souls depart our body, um, untied from the moorings of this life, and we are ushered in to the presence of the Lord. And Paul knew that when he died, he would be present with the Lord. When he died, he would be with him, which is far greater than the enduring struggles and trials and sinful temptations of this life. Commentator William Henderson summarized well Paul's resolve when he wrote that for Paul, death is gain because it brings more of Christ to Paul than more of Paul to Christ. Death is gain. But ultimately, what was it that gave Paul this, this confidence in life or death? Paul could be confident in life or in death because of Jesus Christ, who had tasted death and overcame death himself on the cross. On the cross, Jesus gave himself for Paul. Christ gave himself for you, shedding his blood, tasting death for you. And yet death 
itself had no claim on Jesus. His resurrection displayed his victory over death. Death became a defeated enemy. Yes, an enemy, a powerful enemy, but a defeated enemy, a defeated foe. And because of Jesus' resurrection, believer, you can be confident both in life and death along with Paul. For me, and say, say with Paul, for me, to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul shares one final thing that he's confident of in, in the last couple of verses here, verses 25 and 26. Paul was confident of future ministry. Uh, look back, I'm starting at verse 24 with these verses here again. He says, To remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. First, Paul reiterates his, his confidence that he would be delivered from jail, from death. His desire had been to depart and to be with Christ, loosed from the moorings of this life. But he was confident, he knew, he was fully convinced that he would be delivered from his imprisonment and be able to keep on doing what God had called him to do. And for, for Paul, that meant continued ministry, continued ministry with the church in Philippi. Um, and I, we've talked about this again, but it isn't recorded for us in Scripture. But many scholars believe that Paul, after this imprisonment, had a few years of travel and ministry, discipleship, planting churches left. And it's very possible that Paul continued on uh, to Philippi and was able to see those believers again face to face. Eventually, Paul was imprisoned again for the gospel, and that imprisonment would result in his death. It was at that time that he wrote his second letter to Timothy where he said, the time of my departure has come. And again, he used that same word for departure, untying the moorings of the ship and, and sailing off for different harbors. He says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. But in the meantime, as Paul writes to the church in Philippi, he is confident that his ship wasn't yet scheduled for departure. Paul's future ministry to the Philippians also meant that they would grow together in Christ. I know that I will remain with you and continue with you all for, the pro for your progress and joy in the faith. For your progress, for your growth, for your sanctification. And we've already talked this morning about the process of sanctification. This is a process where day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment, we are conformed into the likeness of Christ. And Jesus, through his word, through the spirit, uh, works on our hearts, removing all the pieces of us that are not him. Every day, believer, you are called to grow into Christ-likeness. We are to progress in the faith. And again, that's a work that the Lord does in us through his word. So spend time in the word with the Lord. Paul also knew that his being released from prison would give the Philippians, as he mentioned in verse 26, ample cause to glory in Christ. This would be the right natural reaction, wouldn't it? When the Lord works despite the circumstances, it ought to cause us to rejoice. A cancer that disappears and shocks the doctors. A hardened heart softened by the gospel. A healthy baby born after years of infertility. 
When the Lord works, we rejoice and we give him praise and glory and honor for the things that he has done. There's a difference between confidence and pride, isn't there? Pride is is arrogant and self-promoting. Confidence is humble and self-aware. Pride can't admit weakness. Confidence is bold enough to admit when it falls short. Pride has you thinking that you can take on Clarence until you realize he's nine foot four inches. Confidence says, I don't need to get revenge at the Clarences of my life. I can let them be. Despite the the seemingly gloomy circumstances that that would have made even an optimist start looking for greener pastures, Paul was, was confident and placed his hope and his trust in the Lord. And if you haven't done that yet, I'd encourage you to do that. The Lord is here, ready to receive you. Call on his name. Pray to him. Let's do that now. Lord, again, I thank you for this morning, the chance that we do have to gather together and to look at the life of Paul. Lord, And we ask that you would give us the confidence that Paul had. Work that in our hearts as we draw closer to you, that whether in life or in death, you may be honored and glorified in everything that we do. Lord, and we pray for us as we go this week, we go into the work space, into school, into life, Lord, and uh, all of our relationships. You have put people in our paths that need to hear the gospel, that need to be ministered to, and we pray that you would Give us the boldness, the confidence when that time comes to share what you have done for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.